Hey listeners, welcome to 10x Growth Strategies podcast. This is your host Preeti Padmanavan, technology executive, investor and board member. Today, we will feature the book Agile M&A by Kisan Patel. Kisan is the founder and CEO of Deal Room, a project management software for complex financial transactions. He is also the founder of M&A Science, a community of forward-thinking M&A practitioners on a mission to perfect the M&A practice. Kisan hosts the M&A Science podcast, an educational podcast exploring the intricate world of M&A with industry leaders and practitioners. Kisan, welcome to 10x Growth Strategies podcast. Hey, Preeti, thanks for having me. Fantastic. Uh so you have such an amazing background and it's always fun to have a podcaster on the podcast and you have also written this book Agile M&A. So tell us why did you write the book Agile M&A? Why? You know, I remember this is earlier years of getting our company going. We have a essentially project management tool for managing M&A and we started working with corporations one thing I noticed was every time we worked at a different corporation, they had a very different way of thinking about M&A. And then um, when it came to thinking of the best practices around M&A, I kept, was very intrigued by what our software engineers internally were doing. They kept adopting or talking about agile and I got a sense of it and it made sense. It's building software is a pretty complex project to do. And a lot of the inherent nature of it is being able to continuously update your priorities as you get feedback from customers. That's how you build good software following an agile model. And as we work closely with these corporations doing acquisitions, we saw commonalities with the fundamental challenges they're trying to solve, where when you buy a company, you don't have a lot of information about that company. And as you progress through the deal, you continually learn more and more about that company. And with that information, you're either identifying risks or opportunities to create value. And that, that similar idea of being agile and following that kind of model to continuously update your plans accordingly as you receive this information made a lot of sense. So I, I remember going on LinkedIn and searching for M&A and agile to see if there are practitioners out there that had a combination of the backgrounds and I ended up having conversations with a gentleman at Google, James Harris, and a woman at Atlassian, Christina Amiri. And I had these conversations to validate a lot of this stuff, that these organizations were utilizing agile practices to M&A with great success. They were attributing a lot of the efficiencies, their speed and scalability uh, to it. So that, that gave me enough validation to put a book behind it. And Christina went as far as challenged me and said, Kisan, don't just write another book, make it a framework so you can help other corporations adopt these practices. And that's where we published Agile M&A as a framework to help organizations bring about these agile principles so they can uh, drive towards a more modern and efficient M&A approach. 
Great points there. Um, actually, I had uh, I used to work for Cisco several years ago, and uh, at that time, Cisco was growing through acquisitions. And uh, when I was there, we celebrated over hundred acquisitions at the milestone, and now it's over two hundred. And I think uh, that whole acquisition and the M and A as a science made a lot of sense. And I have been in experiences where I was part of post-acquisition teams uh, at Cisco or uh, in other companies. In, in some cases, it went well. In some cases, it was very long and drawn out. I, I remember the CEO talking about getting acquisitions down to 45 days <laughs> at some point. Uh, so this is very interesting that uh, you bring up these efficiencies. I'd love to dig more into that. Uh, tell us about the how Agile and many techniques came into it existence right tell us a little bit on the history and the background there yeah a lot of this came from the software industry big believer in looking under in looking at other industries and borrowing their ideas and bring it to your industry so i i think even with agile in the software space some of their concepts actually came from lean manufacturing uh, a lot of the core concepts stemming from tps or toyota production systems uh, so like the kanban board was a good example of that and uh, in the software application, I probably had more of the firsthand exposure to it because I was working directly with the software team. And a lot of these um, techniques they're using, having a prioritized backlog where you're keeping your list of things to do in a descending order of priority and being able to manage and maintain your list that way and continuously apply that um, grooming of your list to keep it in that order. Uh, I, the way they do stand-up meetings. And I, I think that's with m a similar thing where you have uh, cross-functional dependencies um, is a big challenge when you organize your team strictly by function. But when you look at the software world, the old way of doing it was that. You had all the back-end programmers together, front-end programmers, and, and so forth. Uh, now with Agile, you're creating these small cross-functional teams that have a piece of those different roles so that they can go and independently create functionality and similar we see that with with m a when you can create that kind of cross-functional team you're able to do they can focus on a specific value driver right because usually when they buy a company it's some big goal you have is it the employees and the talent you're acquiring is it the product or technology is it the customers and being able to have that team very focused on the specific value driver and have a cross-functional nature to it so that they're very aware about those dependencies. Um, and that's where I like those stand-ups because it keeps everybody in the conversation and loop so they, they know about them uh, doing retrospectives. You know, a lot of times in deals, they'll do it once the deal's done, they'll reflect back, what went well, what went good. What, but it doesn't give you an opportunity to change and fix things. So using that uh, more of a, a cadence to periodically have those retrospectives also makes a lot of sense in the same M&A context because now we can make these updates as we go um, and, and keep improving. So I, I think just seeing little concepts like that and kept reflecting and saying that would actually work really well for M&A. That would work really well for M&A. That's where uh, a lot of this stuff came from. Kisan, you brought up some several points there. If I was to capture and summarize it for the audience here, I uh, I heard the whole discipline of prioritizing and reprioritizing and making sure that list of priorities is up to date. 
and uh, having that ability to have independent projects to be in operation uh, while the major cross-functional operation is also underway and having those stand-ups so that everybody's on the same page. Those were all some of the uh, value that uh, I, I, I saw in what you responded on why Agile MA came into existence. I'd love to understand, right, what are some of the advantages? Do you have any examples on what were some advantages of Agile MA over traditional programmatic approaches to project management? Speed, being able to get things done faster. I, I always, the first example I always think of right away is um, in software. It's about being agile, doing things in short iterations. If you're following Scrum, you're doing these two-week sprints, which in M&A, you could essentially create sprints as well. Um, but the creating these short cycles of iterations to move things along faster. I think a lot of times I've noticed traditionally, in the traditional way, you'd batch everything. You create a detailed plan and you really have these big blocks or batches, which you go and execute in that plan. And you're, you're not creating that tight feedback loop. You're not creating that continuous prioritization. So to be able to have that iterative process, you're actually moving things along faster. And especially when you continuously reprioritize, you're actually moving faster on the important things that you need to get done. Uh, as opposed to a lot of these things that may not as matter as much. I think we did some research and found out of when you buy a company, you're asking for all these diligence requests and it could be hundreds of items, 300. We've seen them up to 1800 on these larger deals. We found that of all those responses that get answered to 20 to 40% never get looked at. So there, there's a lot of this stuff that's pretty it's kind of a waste of time at the end of the day. It, it wasn't as meaningful to complete the deal um, that there were these big ticket priority items that were critical to essentially closing the deal. So it, it helps your team stay focused on what's important, move things along faster. I think there's a cultural piece too, because a lot of it, when you think about how agile comes in play to really create this culture environment around being responsive and responding to changes as they're happening, um, it really creates the culture of transparency and people focus. So I, I think that's the other big benefit of it. You, you do feel it's not as much of a top-down management you're really creating that uh, collaborative environment where people are more or less empowered to, to take lead as contributors to the project. And um, by providing that transparency too, you're being very inclusive. Um, I think those are probably the, the big main advantages. Now on the flip side, there are parts, especially when you do M&A that a traditional classic waterfall, create a plan and execute it would make more, would make sense. Uh, and thinking of even the, some of the technical IT things, right? If we're going to migrate data, um, you know, plan-driven approach might be more appropriate because you just want to create a plan to map these fields and, and, and get the right stakeholders involved and just execute against it. Um, so I, I think there's an opportunity to create the right mix for your project that you're approaching. I always believe you should start with that agile thinking mindset and then you can default to more of a traditional waterfall approach as needed. I like that comprehensive approach that you provided and that flexible ability to go across both the advantages of agile as well as the tra traditional waterfall model. 
Uh, I like the way you summarized uh, the key takeaways in terms of the speed uh, and also in terms of uh, being able to iterate, uh, right? Uh, if, if something worked for acquisition A, it's not going to work for acquisition B. So to be able to be nimble, right? I loved all those inputs. Uh, I would love to hear how do you apply agile strategies over the course of the entire M&A lifecycle, right? Be it the earliest stages of analyzing potential targets to the end of post-merger integration. How do you apply it? I mean, that's a really good loaded question there. We How much time do you got? We got a few hours to cover this. Uh, um, yeah, I would say fundamentally, you start with really simple concepts in the beginning of the deal when you're just sourcing opportunities. There's not, we talk a lot of different concepts and techniques. There's not a lot. It's mainly around the way you prioritize things. Are you keeping those opportunities in that prioritized uh, backlog type of approach? Uh, then as you progress and get into the diligence phase, that's when you have a lot more activity and people involved and you're going back and forth with the target company asking for information. If you apply that same discipline of keeping those requests in a descending order priority, it'll keep your teams focused on the most important items and then having those short increments where maybe our, we're doing just 10 item batches. Let's every day try to get the 10 most important things done versus the 300 items and then waiting four or five days to send that back and then go back and forth. You know, we're, now we can be create a tight iter, 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 iteration. So now you're starting at adding that. Maybe we're adding the, the stand-up meetings. We, we start bringing these other elements in. Uh, once you move into closing the deal and actually integrating the company, then you got a lot of people involved, a lot of complexities. And this is where um, we've, we've recently partnered up and our, our new chief operating officer has extensive M&A integration experience, also very fond of agile concepts that he was applying in the public companies he's worked at. Uh, so now we're sort of writing the next iter iter version of agile M&A to be more inclusive of these use cases in integration because there's so many and there's a lot of complexities to it that then you're using a lot more the way you're structuring those teams around the cross-functional nature, using the retrospectives. Maybe you're setting up sprints or using more of these uh, scrum-like type of, of models uh, when, when things really get complicated like an integration. I really like how you were able to give inputs across the whole life cycle. And like you said, we need hours to get into the details. And I'm sure the audience can take a look at your book. You have a framework that is easy to use and implement. They can just follow the framework. I'd love to understand, say, if a company is currently following traditional project management techniques, how does one successfully adapt the agile project management techniques for driving m and yeah, that's a, a great question. I, I've learned from experience that the first thing you want to do is really discovery because I, the thing I've learned uh, pretty, pretty from all this is um, people don't change unless you give them a compelling reason to change. Like as however you frame it, look at it, like they will not do anything different unless you really, really give them compelling. So if, the first thing you want to do is build that case of why we need to change our process and I think this is where sometimes it could help to have either somebody that's really got the time and can act as a third party or actually getting a third party to facilitate the conversation and discovery across the key stakeholders on around the life cycle of a deal process, right? So the front end people that are sourcing the deals, 
the diligence, people are coordinating all of that, maybe some of those functional leads, and then the folks managing all the integration. And doing a, a discovery where you're having a conversation to understand what are their challenges and pain points that they're encountering. And you also want to try to, one, be as biased as possible. So have some pretty blanket open-ended questions to see where they take it. But then put some weight on it. Get a sense of like, how bad of a problem is that? And then uh, as you go through this, you you want to start consolidating this feedback, but prioritizing it. You go back to the backlog, right? Can we really get a sense of what are the biggest problems and then descend? Then uh, one of the uh, exercises I, I encourage is getting all these key stakeholders, as many as you can, sometimes it's hard to get all of them, into a conference room uh, or a virtual one. And try just bring up uh, that the goal is to here's all these interviews i've done i want to make sure we're on the same page all i want to do is kind of validate that i had this in the right order of priority uh it doesn't matter who said what but let, let's talk through these and that exercise alone i, I think fo fosters a lot of the alignment between these different groups and, and team members um, but it, it, you you get uh, you get them on the same page where now there's a, more empathy to challenges that other functions have that may be stemming from another stage in the life process that somebody else has ownership or control of. So right away, there's uh, solutions that pop up just by talking in clarity about what the challenges are. That hey, there's a real easy way to fix that. Uh, I, I think there's that. I think it's bringing people together and now. We're starting to really create some clarity on why we why we should look at making some of these changes, and it sets framing for that conversation of let's talk through some ideas on what could be done to solve these. And, and we do this primarily as a provider of software technology, but it opens up to both. Is this a thing we could adjust around our practice? And maybe there's a concept. Maybe that's where we like to have that framework to say, hey, here's a bunch of ideas. You go grab one, shape it a little bit, see if you can fit it into your organization. And then, uh, you, you know, you try these different things. Again, you're doing it, you're not trying to boil everything and do it all at once, but let's pick the one or two top problems and see what kind of uh, either techniques or, 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 or maybe it's a, a technology to overcome that challenge and then create that feedback loop. So let's regroup and do we need to tweak some things? Do we need to rip this thing out, try something else? What did we learn from it? Uh, and then there's a few other steps to really get that implemented because you obviously want to, some folks to take accountability of it and have agreement on uh, you know, how we're going to approach things. Um, but I, I think that's the goal is get that discovery in first, get the teams aligned on the priorities by which problems to solve. And once you have that, it makes it a lot easier to start introducing changes. And then when you think about agile, that's part of it. Like some of that stuff will naturally come up where, Hey, we're struggling with keeping teams aligned on priorities. Well, we talked about that backlog as an example. Why don't we try that? You know, some of the cross function, why don't we introduce standups? So you sort of find when we can associate introducing a technique to solving a problem, it becomes more meaningful. You'll get more buy-in. If you wake up one day and just come to the office where, Hey guys, we should do standups. You're going to get some booze and thumbs down because people don't want extra work or anything to think about more than they need to. We're already overwhelmed with the eight different message feeds we got to keep up with. So the goal is to simplify it or, hey, be a problem solver. Let's create value by solving some of the inefficiencies we're having.
you brought up some really key points uh, you know there's so many stakeholders in this equation like you said and bringing them on the same page and also like you said in this case of mna there is stakeholders within the company that's acquiring and then stakeholders outside the company if you were to look back at one of the most successful examples of mnas that you have been involved with and you talked about there were challenges talked about in both sides i would love to hear maybe one or two challenges that came up and uh, you know what were some solutions that you implemented uh, to resolve those challenges in a successful mna yes when you have leadership that's transitioning over to the company after close and it's a whole different structure and you don't really communicate that well and i've seen that not only of deals i've worked with but even broader with other deals that it creates a lot of friction and that's where those transitions become pretty uneasy and oftentimes uh you you get that that turn um you get that uh, attrition that happens so i i think one is just the the, the post structure and it goes beyond that, right? It's not only just what your org chart's going to look like and communicating that, communicating that ahead of time before close. That hey, this is what your career path forward is going to look like. Yes, the title is going to be different, but don't let that shock you. There's some good things. Now we're a larger company. There may be some more uh, steps to getting things done, but now there's a lot more firepower to help you do bigger and better things, right? So I, I think there's. The communication about what this post state's going to be like that's uh, all these deals i've seen where there's always problems afterwards it's it's around that where the change happens but there was no communication on the expectations of the change for the, the employees involved uh let's see here what's the other good challenge i i just remember a lot of the deals i always remember is always like the whole inspiration when i started the tech company was doing things on excel doing things excel was i just knew it was the most inefficient thing and i can think of so many deals i've worked on where it's just redundancy i had a deal that literally the person got walked away from the deal because they were so frustrated the buyer we were working with was coming back and asking them for basically the same thing just a little bit different way of asking it but they kept asking for the same information i think it was the third or fourth time that they just, the, the seller got so frustrated that he canceled the deal. Uh, we did get that one back. It took a long time. It took a long time to like let things settle and get the conversation going. And eventually we did do that deal, but it was just the, the fact that here's something directly related to the way you're managing things, the details of doing M&A that created so much friction and frustration for an individual. And if you look at that, that's in the beginning stage of trying to get the deal done. And if all this change that happens and it's not clearly communicated and those people don't have control over it, they can't just walk away from the deal. They can walk away from their job. And that's where you get a lot of this friction and, and turnover that happens. I think that's, you know, the big lesson is if you can uh, have the strong communication and transparency early in the process, but really drive that plan well. That's where I think there's a nice case for Agile when you can constantly be looking, iterating, creating your plan for integration early on. Great insights. Uh, I really love that point about 
being transparent and having that honest dialogue right up front that would actually reduce those attrition moments to happen and also in making sure the execution is seamless. And I'm sure your company can help a lot with that, especially being a project management software rather than use Excel. I'm curious, uh, you know, you are a fellow podcaster. I'm uh, So I get to ask this question to you. What inspired you to start the MA Science Podcast and how has your journey been? You know, it's funny. I had two factors. One was a friend of mine in marketing, Andy. Andy was working marketing for Chicago Booth here in, in Chicago at the time. I met him at a networking event. We became friends. I loved hanging out with the guy because every time I hung out with him, he'd give me half a dozen marketing ideas. But the one he kept pressing on was to start a podcast. I remember the first time he said it, he's like, hey, Kizan, you should start a podcast. And I look back and I'm like, what the hell is a podcast? I had no idea. And uh, over time, he encouraged me. He went as far as to getting me to attend a podcast conference, a podcast movement, a big national conference that happened to be in Chicago that year. And I met all these other podcasters and I was so intrigued and inspired by how mission-driven they were. One of them I met was... Uh, Bring innocent people out of jail, just the, the different things that they're advocating for. And at that time, I remember I was working with different corporations and I had my own sense of frustration and that every time I worked with a the company, they had such a different way of thinking of M&A that I couldn't just take this template from my last client and bring it over and repurpose it, that I had to learn how they do and think about M&A, which made me realize that the industry itself is so siloed and fragmented that there's this lack of standardization and real evidence to how M&A should be done. So that's, that's where we married the idea of doing a podcast with um, a goal of utilizing as a platform to enable practitioners to be able to share lessons learned so that we in turn can identify some patterns, like what are the actual proven techniques in the industry? And that's over six years has led to building a whole digital media business of M&A Science, where today we have 1,500 pages of content publicly available on M&A, about 20 eBooks. We're publishing our third book this summer on standing up an M&A function from scratch. And um, they host a whole series of events and have really evolved a community of uh, thousands of practitioners to advocate for better practices in the industry. That's a great story. Uh, very exciting. I know uh, being a podcaster is a, it's a quite a you know commitment. Uh, so to be inspired by other podcasters and starting something and and doing it for the last four years, kudos to you. Uh, I really admire that as a fellow podcaster. It's been a pleasure, Kizan, to have you on the podcast. Are there any final words of advice you have for the audience here? It's like the cliche thing about listening. I, I feel like so much of what we've been able to do extremely well has been, and I call it being dumb, where you can get in this mindset where you know nothing or can assume what you know is wrong and just really, really actively listen to people. And it's interesting because when you say you can get what you know is wrong, like even the things that you think you're a subject matter expert and you're talking to somebody that you'd say, no, they wouldn't know nearly as much as I do about that topic. You'd be surprised. You can actually learn some things about something you think you're an expert at. So that's why, and it's just carried so far. Even when you get to meetings and you often have your own agenda and what you're trying to get out of it in mind, can you get to zero? Can you really focus on the other person, understanding how they think, how they feel, why do they feel that way? 
you'll learn about what their goals and challenges are and if you can align yourself to help them solve those uh, challenges and overcome uh, so they can achieve those goals then you're really well positioned to to help move yourself forward i think we forget about that i feel like we sometimes we get so caught up in our business we're trying to pitch this and pitch that but like at the end of the day you're solving a problem like really focus on it focus on that person and understanding what problems they have and maybe it's not the ones that they need to get solved right now but can you help direct them and, and be helpful in some way or another but uh, yeah i think being dumb is probably the last piece of advice to everybody which is a lot of irony coming from the MA world of doing the largest transactions in the world uh the best thing you can do is be dumb you wouldn't believe it kisan that was the advice i gave to my son who's going to become an adult uh, in a few months i was telling him that's one of my secrets right when i want somebody to align with me i play dumb and i listen to them and then they feel part of the idea and they start contributing and then you learn in that process uh, it is so uh, like you said right it counterintuitive uh, but i could not agree more uh, with that advice and great the uh, final thoughts there uh, now that you say yeah. it back to me i i think the add on is radical curiosity that you, you know if you couple that with just radical curiosity you're set for success so make, make sure junior knows that one too and uh yeah i think he'll be really really well off that's best advice you can give for mom absolutely thank you for that and it was a pleasure to have you on 10x growth strategies podcast listeners do check out mna science podcast and check out Kison's books Agile MNA and he has written many other books so do check that out and thank you for tuning in <laughs>